listening to Giving a Fuck is the New Black. And I'm your host, Joe Lorenz. Join me and my guests each episode as we endeavour to give several serious fucks and discuss climate change, intersectionality, conscious lifestyle, politics, and of course, sustainability. Today's guest, Regina Jones, is a proud Gumaroy Gamilare woman from Brisbane, Australia, currently living in Georgia, USA, and currently taking time out from her horrid housepacking schedule to chat with me. Um, Ginny is an artist, designer, and advocate for Aboriginal people, for First Nation rights, and in preserving Indigenous culture. Ginny and I started following each other a couple of years ago now, and I have admired her consistent and unique form of activism. I mean, the woman has dressed big celebrities. She's been featured in glossies like Vogue many, many times. And throughout all of this, she has remained completely, utterly steadfast in her art and in her purpose and is always focused on culture, on positivity, on respect and love, and always working to celebrate and elevate Indigenous people. Now, Ginny is a storyteller, a daughter, a sister, and an auntie. She is black, she is deadly, and she is amazing. Welcome, my friend Ginny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. I'm so glad we could finally do this. Let's start by talking about Ginny's Girl Gang. If you could just run us through how and why you started the business. I started Ginny's Girl Gang well, almost two years ago now. I've been an artist for a really long time. However, I hadn't painted much in the last few years just because I felt like culturally I wasn't in the greatest space. Mm. But I moved to the US and I felt like I needed that connection. Um, and so I was able to come up with a jacket idea that I wanted to do from one of my best friends who was visiting for her birthday and people loved it. And it sort of went from there and I started Ginny's Girl Gang. But I guess Ginny's Girl Gang is came about as well because of my nieces. They're my best friends. Mm. They're very little. They're in grade three and two and one cute yeah and they're just beautiful little girls and we call ourselves Ginny's girl gang um and it's all about just love and culture I love being it. proud of who we are that's so yeah. lovely now I'm that sucks though that you were in a shitty place when you first moved over there was that just being away from family and friends or what do you think that was about a few years before my aunt had passed away unexpectedly I'm and I'm so sorry Thank you. It's okay. Um, she was sort of like the matriarch of our family and kind of kept us all together. My mum had passed when I was really young, so it was like one of the last people that I had in my life that mm. I could connect to home. Right. And because it was so unexpected, mm. we couldn't afford the greatest coffin, so we got the most basic, <laughs> the mm. cheapest one that you could get, and um, we decided to paint it. So we had this coffin in the garage for mm you know, a few days and myself and my cousins and my sisters um, sat down and painted it. And it was awesome in terms of like grieving, right. you know, I got to sit with that for a while. Right. But also afterwards, I just never felt like painting again. It sort of just stopped. Yeah, it was really weird. That's and, um, intense. But it was intense. Yeah, but that's like hugely special too. I mean, what you guys got to yeah. do, but I'm not surprised you were a little bit yeah, kind of, I guess, traumatized or just couldn't go there for a while because that's a hugely heavy thing to do. But that's so cool, though. And so after that, for some reason, I just felt like I 
what didn't really want to paint and maybe mm. that it was really just special in that moment I don't know but it wasn't until I moved to the U.S. that um you know again feeling so far away from home it mm. felt like how I could connect to culture and it just sort of started and now I've been painting non-stop and it's been um a really good way to keep in touch with home. Now on that tell me what your designs mean to you and I guess more than that about what purposeful art or art as a form of activism what does that mean to you and to your mob? Yeah I mean obviously they're super important to myself and again I just think like it's been a really great way to keep in contact with people at home but also share stories and share messages. Mm. Art is has always been really special for me but to be able to combine that with fashion Mm. um has sort of elevated it in a way and it is a form of activism for me it's Mm. a way of being able to speak my mind and challenge other people's opinions and be proud of whatever message it is that we choose to wear it's been an amazing journey and for every jacket that I do make for someone it means so much to that person Mm. so that really is special I guess yeah, and I mean, uh, because it's an, uh, a connection to your art and to culture and everything, was that the original idea, do you think, do you, when you made these jackets? Was it always going to be about Indigenous culture? For sure. I don't think I could have done anything else and it came so naturally. Mm. I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't, I couldn't see it happening anywhere else and I thought maybe this could be a really cool idea to mm. sort of, get people to wear their pride or wear their thoughts and opinions. Yep, I agree. It's worked. Good business plan, lady. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's been your favourite design to date? I mean, they're all so special. They all mean so so much to me. And mm. because it's special to other people, um, I love them. That was a really hard question. I think maybe the always was, always will be jacket that I did for Celeste only because um, it got the attention mm. that I felt like it deserved. Um, and always was, always will be is like, it's definitely, I mean, I don't know a black person who doesn't know right. <laughs> that chant, you know, I grew up hearing it. I grew up living it. Mm. Um, and so it's sort of ingrained in who we are and it's like another it's like a pride thing. So for me, you know, always was, always will be, has always been um, special. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, Just to listeners. So Celeste Barber is the comedian who runs a highly successful Instagram account and is essentially loved by everybody on the planet. I'm sure everyone knows who she is right now. And Celeste famously wore one of Ginny's designs on stage at the Firefight Australia Relief Concert, which was held in Sydney in February. Yeah, I remember seeing that and just going, fuck yes. I mean, not only was I um, a big fan of yours, obviously, I was also a big believer in the also always was, always will be statement. And um, But also, hello, it's Celeste Barber and the woman is just a brilliant comedian and activist in her own right. And so it was a really cool moment. So kudos to you and I'm very glad that happened. Now, she's a bit of a dream client, but I suppose who would be – if you could pick anyone to dress, um, who would it be and what would their jacket say? I think someone like Patty Mills, who uh, – do you know who Patty Mills is? He yeah. He plays NBA. He's pretty special. Yeah. Um, someone like P- Patty or maybe Ben Simmons, um, just because I feel like that's – I mean, they're awesome and I love basketball right. um, and I think that they could pull it off. Mm. 
Um, and right now they're doing so much in our communities as well. Like I know Ben's got a lot going on um, with his campaign on racism in Australia and Patty's been doing a lot of work in Indigenous communities for a long time. So I think that either of those people would be a dream client. I don't know what it would say. I think that's the special part, right? I get to mm. have the chat and find out what's important to those people. So if Ben or Pat want, Patty wants to sign up, I'd be happy to yeah, do that. That would be a dream. Let's hope there's um, somehow massive fans of this podcast and listening. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Yeah, well, they should be. I'll send their PR <laughs> yeah, a note. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk kind of Indigenous wisdom, Indigenous justice. As mm-hmm. a Goomaroy Gamilaray woman who grew up in Brisbane, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about your schooling. And I, I guess I'd like to know kind of if there was much of a focus on Indigenous wisdom and culture and when you were growing up at school. I was lucky. I went to an Indigenous school, um, an independent school in Brisbane, the Murray School. Um, Yeah, it's been around for a really long time. And I was really lucky that my, um, initially my mum had put me in that school. And so I was able to grow up with culture. Mm. You know, we, um, instead of singing the Australian anthem in the morning, we would do Garing and Manami, we would do a traditional welcome. And so I was, I guess, every day, living breathing culture which Mm. was awesome um and I was there until about grade four grade five um I was in the foster care system so um I then moved into a mainstream school and that was really tough the Mm. transition Mm. um but I again was really lucky I was in a foster family with my foster mum being Aboriginal um and so I was able to keep that connection she was actually the bus driver at the Murray school and just took me home one day because um you know mum wasn't home right but I was able to keep that connection going which was awesome Mm. and um she was also the Indigenous education officer at my primary school and my high school oh amazing (laughs) yeah I was really really lucky that I got to have an a person who, around me who made sure that that was, um, you know, at the forefront of our lives and that we were proud of who we were. It's funny because going to an Aboriginal school, knowing that I was black, we still, we lived at, in Green Bank, which is um, quite, at the time, quite rural. Mm-hmm. And we were the only Aboriginal family at our school. Right. So that was tough. And then, go, you know, going from Murray School where you know, the majority of students are Aboriginal Mm. and not having to have those conversations or experience racism in that way. Um, And then moving to a mainstream school where we were the only black family was Mm. really different. Mm. And so in a way it was tough. It was really tough. I was always proud of who I was, but I really dimmed that when I got into high school because I just didn't want to bring attention to myself. I'd experienced some racism in mainstream schooling. So when I got to high school, you know, I really sort of like sat back and wasn't loud. I mm. would make fun of myself to make other people feel comfortable. Right. And and all that yucky stuff that comes with being black and going to a white school. Right. So it was really, it was like parallel worlds, mm. you know, it was strange. And it, it really kind of messed with my identity and who I was for a really long time. Yeah, I bet it did. Having that first um, introduction to schooling, really being embracing your culture and um, always was, always will be mentality to then going to this institutional structure, which doesn't talk about 
anything like that at all, I would have thought. I mean, I just would like to talk about institutional reform in terms of everything. I mean, in terms of defunding the police, in terms of reforming our reform system, but, you know, more, I guess, at this point, also in terms of teaching accurate Indigenous education in our schools. So, you know, having... uh, the experience from going to your first school and then to your second school, what institutional reform do you believe needs to be enacted in Australia, for example, to prevent the systemic racism felt by Aboriginal folks, um, yet also to celebrate and elevate Indigenous culture and wisdom? There are so many areas that I feel like needs reform. Mm. Um, And it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Because you feel like, Education obviously is a massive one. I think that had my um, education throughout high school been given more perspective and truth about Australian history, mm. that I I think I could have been a completely different person. I think I would have thrived in high school. Right. But instead, it was almost like subliminally, no one really ever said anything, but it was almost like the minute I stepped out of the Murray School, Mm. and mind you, my uniform at the Murray School was whatever I decided to wear, but towards the end, we had a black, yellow, red school uniform to then just go into like this little green plaid dress Mm. and be the only little black girl in my grade Mm. was no one had to tell me that that's what it was. I saw it. I think that had there have been more education around Australia, a true Australia history that um, I might have been embraced a little bit more and that I wouldn't have had to sit back and um, dim who I was or censor my pride Mm. to make other people feel comfortable and also to to not have to go through what comes with being proud and being black at school in Australia. So many levels of interestingness right there, but there's something that really kind of sticks out. It's making other people comfortable. So from such a young age, you realised is the wrong word. You were taught by the structures around you that you have to change who you are or not mention any of the shit that's happened in the past in order to Mm -hmm. make the structure and the people happy. Exactly. And, I mean, I think when we talk about, it's hard to say that, you know, education is, it would be the biggest one because, you know, it started well before that. It started with mm. health and my mother's interaction with the system right. and my and the foster care system mm. and the justice system. It's so yeah. embroiled and there's so many layers that mm. everything needs to be <laughs> looked at. And, yeah. yeah, I think that that's really hard for Australia to think about. Yeah, you're right. It's all interconnected and the you don't know what you don't know um, is so true. There's so much of white Australia that just doesn't see this as a problem because they don't see, oh, but that's that's not a problem. We're one nation. We're one people. We're all together, but we're not. The system is against some and it's propping up others. And until um, everyone kind of realises that, we can't really move forward. No, I think that that's the thing as well as like, I mean, I say you don't know what you don't know and I think we have been all like told that the westernised idea of how to live is the best way to do it. Mm. Um, but it's 2020 now. That's actually not an excuse anymore. We right. know enough about the world. We have access to resources and people and um, the internet that now it's like it's just 
stupid. Like, if you can't see what's happening in front of you, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I just want to kind of, this leads us into Black Lives Matter's movement. And as a person living in Atlanta, you're bearing witness to history um, and the overdue recognition of how white supremacy flourishes. Uh, I mean, I hate even using that word. It makes it sound positive, but oppresses um, in the States and indeed all over the world. And so, I mean, have you attended any of the protests and uh, why do you think that horrible death of George Floyd was kind of the breaking point? Why now? Why not before? I have. I, I was able to get down to a protest and it was my first protest in the US and I never felt it's it's in a way horrible, right? Because mm. I've been to so many protests back home in Australia yeah. that part of me felt at home at this protest here mm. with my people. We're different blacks, still black, but the pain and the suffering is mirrored from the US to Australia. I don't know if it was a final breaking point for us because I think being black, we're constantly living in that space of breaking point. And um, so it's hard to say, but I think it was breaking point for white America. And I think that it was was a breaking point for them because they had to see someone die on a a camera. Mm. You know, people had to sit there and see it a, a person take his last breaths mm. for the, for people to be like this was not right and even still um I think that there are I hear a lot of opinions and thoughts that that was uh, you know a one-off and we know that that's not true no. um so finally there was enough white Americans to go that this was something that they didn't like to see <laughs> I mean, 2020, it's been a fucking massive year. Bushfires in our home country of Australia. The spread of coronavirus and, you know, the spotlight that was shined upon the inequity of all of our systems, medical, police, educational, everything, to these um, momentous Black Lives Matters protests all over the world. And finally, uh, many people waking up to the realities of systemic racism. So let's talk about the link between all these reformist occurrences. Do you see a link? Yeah, for sure there is a link. I mean, Indigenous people have been saying for a very, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of colonisation, that we needed to be spoken to and sat at the table and discussed mm-hmm. how to look after country. And now we see, you know, the bushfires were obviously very devastating. And I can't tell you how devastating it was for us as well to mm. sit and watch our country burn, right. especially when we have been practising for, you know, tens of thousands of years before colonisation right. that had never been an occurrence before. So right. it was, it, you know, a boiling point in a way. Yeah. I for sure saw the link there. Um, and in a way, I guess, you know, I try and see the positive as as much as I possibly can. And obviously while it was devastating, there are now conversations happening around um, taking care of country and including right. us in those conversations to ensure that this sort of stuff doesn't happen again. We need to be at the table. We need to be discussing these things. We have 
knowledge in these spaces that are untapped um, and not used by our own leaders. So that was really devastating. And I think for, you know, coronavirus and I think for all of the other stuff, of course, the planet is screaming at us to get our shit together. You know, I think there's so many of these things that are happening that um, for sure there is a link between what's what's happening now and it in a way a boiling point for all of these things so if anything I hope that after such a shitty year Mm. and seeing all of these things happen that it it is an opportunity for a conversation to happen Mm. around these things and that we can come together and talk about how do we fix this and I hope it's not for nothing the the thing that really shits me with the Australian bushfires and I mean, it, I should be seeing the positive. I should be being more like you, which I will be. Let me change the way I <laughs> let me change my. You're allowed to here. sit in it and be pissed. Oh, I so bet you yeah. are allowed to do that. I mean, it's annoying <laughs> because uh, I love that people have got on board, but you. Re- I mean, from Sydney, from a Sydney point of view, you couldn't go outside. I mean, it was the mm-hmm. sky was orange, the sky was thick and black. You couldn't go to the beach. The Australian summer that we all envisage and that we grew up with was no longer a reality and that happening to, um, kind of made Australians go shit you know my kids aren't going to have that going down to the beach kind of upbringing that I had and this concerns me so you know they they got on board I guess I should be happy with that it shits me that it took such an amount of damage before people woke up to this and the thing that really annoys me about how much the rest of the world was fascinated with the fires in Australia is they were fascinated with it because it's Australia the darling of the world they didn't give a shit about it when it was happening in the Congo. They didn't give a shit about it when it was happening elsewhere. They gave a shit about it in Australia because that's where they want to go for a holiday. It didn't get the attention it deserved because climate change. It didn't get the intention, uh, attention it deserved because of ind- Indigenous justice. It got the attention it deserved because of ratings, because of things like that. And that shit me. I think we saw that in Australia as well. I don't think many Australians gave a shit about what was happening in the rest of the world no. and, until it was happening to that, you know, us back home. And it was really, it, yeah, you're right. It was really sad to see that that's how, what ha- had to happen for people to care. Ending systemic racism is, um, you know, obviously a revolution that starts with people that benefit from this um, systemic institutionalised stuff, acknowledging the deep fundamental structural racism that exists within our countries, that exists deep within our traditional institutional structures, like the police force, the education system, healthcare, everything we said earlier. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on how we dismantle these inequitable systems in a way that benefits all people and in turn the future of our planet? I don't know. To Mm. be honest, I think, I mean, I have an idea of what I would like to see happen. Um, The thing is, is that the system has failed us so many times. It's like, it, it would have to be a complete a complete dismantling of how we live right now. Right. Um, where do we start? I think we just need to be heard. And I think yep. it needs, we need to be heard properly. Mm. I think we need to, you need to hear the shit that comes with the good. Yeah. Um, and 
we need to be included in the conversations and we need to be in control of our future and what happens to us, you know. Uh, I guess that's where we would start. I would, I'd, Honestly, Joe, I just wouldn't even know where to start. And, and I think you're right, though. I think acknowledging the true history, history of Australia is probably the best place to start. Yeah. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I would think that education, ch- teaching children would be the best way to start. But then they go home and they deal with shit parents who still haven't learned either. There are apparently phases of kids' lives. When they're really young, they listen to their parents and they follow their the parents' wisdom, I suppose, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go on to when they get a little bit older, they find mentors. This especially happens with boys. They find mentors outside their family. If, the, if it doesn't sit well with you, then question it. You right. don't need mum and dad to help you make those decisions, especially as adults now. As, right. You know, when, when you get to high school and you have your own thoughts and opinions on stuff, you know, you just hope that um, there are people surrounding these people in schools or TAFEs or universities mm. that are able to provide perspective. And the best way for that to happen is for those people to be black. Now, racial justice, Indigenous justice... Climate justice, as we were saying, you know, they're all fundamentally linked. You look at like Indigenous folks have been having their lands stolen, extracted from, polluted on for centuries upon centuries. Um, How do we think that we can take the bold work of one of our movements to bolster the others for collective social justice? Yeah, well, again, I think they're also fundamentally linked, like Mm. you said, that, um, you you know, I think that we have to make changes in all of these institutions. I think politics, I would love, you know, we're we're in a better space in Australian politics. We have more um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players in that game, which is great. Not enough. No. um, Because... Those are the these are the people that get to make their decision these mm. decisions and um, bring those thoughts and opinions to the table. So I think looking in that space and having people play in that game, more black people in that space is only going to help mm. um, those conversations start to happen. Mm. But again, I think like w- it'd be silly of us to think that there aren't people in each of these institutions working and living in that space right now that we can't just get off our asses and go talk to. Right. Like it's actually that easy. Yeah. Um, it, and asking them what their thoughts are and opinions are and not in a way that is, you know, using them as the token black person in that institution, but actually, um, you know, they're, listening to their thoughts and opinions and experiences and asking them who in their community would know about this. You know, it's, it's about conversation and we're stupid to think that, you know, we have to rewrite everything. No, It really is going to start from a conversation. Yeah, you're right. And amplifying the voices, you know, it's not about tokenizing. It's about amplifying these voices that need to be heard and have been needing to be heard for a long time. Having more um, Indigenous representation in um, all of our institutions, governments probably especially, is so crucial. But it's also that slight, you know, one degree shift for now, just that tiny shift in the way that our actual parliament acts that also I think Mm. needs to happen because otherwise um, (laughs) these Indigenous folks are just – you know, working within this, within kind of these white supremacist systems, really. But right. yeah, I mean, it's a fucking 
ball to unravel, isn't it? It is. And like it's Pandora's box once you open it. And that's the thing. I think that's what white Australia is really scared of Mm. because there are a lot of answering to that needs to happen here. There's a lot of acknowledging all the shit that came, that comes with opening that box. Um, And, you know, black Australia has been ready to have the conversation since the beginning of time. Um, And we're just waiting for people to catch up. And I think we're starting to see that happen. And it's nice when it's authentic and genuine and not, you know, a trend. Look, for my nieces or my nephews that are going to school now who are having, uh, you know, I, I know that they're having somewhat of a difference through their education. That makes me happier. Mm-hmm. But um, it's sad because I don't know if we'll see that in our lifetime. So, right. and it's just, it, it is really silly. It is a conversation. That's where we start. As you said, black folks are sitting at this ginormous table going, hello, we're ready for this fucking conversation already. It's white people that need to come to it and be open with it. And I think to any white parents that are listening, it's it's your responsibility to have these conversations with your kids. I have these conversations with my five and six-year-old, nearly seven-year-old. They understand that they kind of fit within a society that treats them differently as little white boys. And I think it's important. I'm not guilting my children. I'm just giving them reality of what it is so they can use their privileges in order to help other people. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my son, Harry, actually, he constantly asks when when Black Lives Matters was more on the news, it's still there, but it was, you know, really on there in kind of at the beginning of June. And, you know, it's it's hard, I guess, for a kid to digest that the police, who are meant to be the good guys, were actually the bad guys. It's a very weird thing to unravel, but simply having conversations with him has been enlightening for him, and he sees the world in a slightly different colour. Um, no pun intended. Uh, he... He also has an understanding there's a little girl in his class who is half Aboriginal and he um, tried to have a conversation with her about Black Lives Matter. And when he told me about this, I was slightly mortified for a second thinking he'd run up to this little girl, singled her out and said, hey, let's talk about race. But (laughs) her, her reaction to it was very interesting that she was just excited to have a conversation about her culture. So I was so proud of the fact that, I mean, it could have gone horribly wrong, don't get me wrong, but the fact is he wanted to have a conversation with her about her and she was delighted to have a conversation with her, with him about herself and a part of herself that no one really ever asks about. Mm. Could have gone wrong, And isn't it funny (laughs) that sometimes I feel like that little girl at 31 sometimes when it happens, when someone actually is genuine and authentic in their conversations. You know, I remember, you know, there's one moment in my life that, I, you know, I, was, I went on one of those stupid European tours. Right. And I was the only black Australian person on the bus and we had like lots of um, South African, white South Africans right. and lots of um you know, white Australians, and one night something happened and it, it became about race and someone said something really horrible. And then for me it ruined the whole trip. I, yeah, I, I can't look at Europe and think it was great. Mm, that sucks. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was really, really horrible. And there was one guy on this whole trip, this mm. white Australian guy who was a teacher, mm. young, he was like, no, oh, I must have been like 23. Right. And he just said to me, um, uh, like he said to me, are you okay? Do you want to talk about this? And he's like, 
he he took it upon himself to go and have a conversation with that person, not because mm. he was trying to, for me, um, but because he, as a te- he said to me, as a teacher, I feel like I can't allow this conversation. <laughs> He's right. like, I teach primary school children. And that was a moment in my life that I was like, oh, okay, there are people yeah. out there that I don't have to guilt into making them do something right. that actually care about in and not just me but that just that something so vile had come out of someone's mouth and they needed to be told and I think at times I feel like a little girl when mm. those sorts of situations happen and someone stands up that isn't brown or isn't right. black or colored right. um and says no that's not okay and you're you're a minority in the space. We don't think like you. That's disgusting. So, right. yeah, exactly. I mean, just no. to go on a tangent. I'm so, no, I like that tangent. I'm sorry that happened to you. What an asshole. And I'm sure that not, not the teacher, the teacher, lovely. And I hope that person is out there being lovely and loved right now. I'm sure he is. The, yeah. the person that said the vile thing, it's, you know, there's, there's so many people like that around that, and But, you know, you've got your high-level vile ones like this guy that said mm. whatever he said. And then you've got your little of not quite so obvious racist asshole that says things all the time, little jokes about um, whatever. And, I mean, I've right. been at plenty of barbecues where people have done some kind of stereotypically disgusting thing. And I'm always – oh, I'm not saying I'm a hero here, but I'm always like, that's not funny, you're a dickhead, walk away. But yeah. the thing is, what your teacher, what that teacher did was a much better thing. Have a conversation with this person about why that is unacceptable. I, I mean, I've done mm. that with many bottles of red wine under my belt many a time, but it's something that mm. we all need to consistently do. We need to do it in the supermarket. We need to do it here and there. It shouldn't be, again, this – it seems like white people are just uncomfortable with talking about race on any level unless they make right. light of it. They feel like if they talk about it, they're acknowledging their – participation in the inequity of it the more white people accept that having a conversation with a black indigenous person of color anyone that is not white having a conversation about their heritage and about um, the problems that they may face um, is a positive thing exactly and there's so many similarities right because what it, it takes bravery it means it means being uncomfortable and yep. it's that pit in in your stomach that when it happens you know I've been on both sides of it um mm. you know when I first went to this mainstream school and I was the only black kid for a really long time I just allowed people to make jokes about me because mm. and I laughed along with it so that they felt comfortable and it didn't further bring attention to my difference to these other kids and you know there was a pivotal moment in my life that I thought you know what I can't do this anymore Mm. I can't I can't sit back and allow these conversations to happen because in a way it felt like I was cheapening who I was and I had to be brave Mm. I I know what it feels like to to have to stand up and say something to your friends to people that you have lived with or people that you've done stupid shit with and you've gone through high school and they you know you think that they're friends and then they say something that pit in your stomach that goes this is not right but I have to say something even though we're both going to be uncomfortable with this I've had to do that and you know what so I understand for I know that there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast or you know a lot of white people who 
agree with what we say mm. and that what's happening in the world is not right, but still allow conversations to happen because it does take an act of bravery and it takes a moment in time where you have to call out someone. Right. But let me tell you something, the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. Right. Embracing that discomfort, just like you said, it's so important and it does get easier and it's um, a very necessary thing. And I guess the difference also between let's uh, like say me embracing that discomfort is something I can choose to do because I am hidden from society because I'm a white woman. Um, If I was a white man, I'd be even more hidden. And by hidden, I mean hidden from the atrocities of which society can throw at human beings. But as a, as a black woman, you, you can't really hide away from that. You know, you can't, uh, when, uh, I don't know if you listen to it, you should, and everyone should. I did a, um, a podcast with a great guy called Frederick Joseph, who's a friend of ours that lives in New York and he's black and he's attending the Black Lives Matters movement all the time. He's written an incredible book called um, The Black Friend, yada, yada, yada. But he and I talked about that and he said that he can't not wear his blackness. He's always wearing his blackness. So, I mean, it's unfair of white folks to think that they should leave these hard conversations to people that are wearing their their skin colour when um, white Mm. people are able to hide behind theirs. So, And here's the thing, like, you know, you don't need to have children to educate younger people and I something like I had someone um message me on my Instagram account actually when a lot of this Black Lives Matter stuff was happening well what can we do no one can give me an answer about how we actually make this better let me guess she was a white woman yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) and you know look I don't have the answers for you that's something that you probably need to be having that conversation with yourself right but if you are a white Australian, I just challenge everyone to have a conversation and start once a month to have a conversation about race with someone mm. who isn't of colour. Mm. Whether you think that their opinion is going to vary from yours or not, have the conversation. Um, and because when you do that, you get comfortable with having those conversations. And it can be – I just challenge people to talk about it. How many times – I mean, 2020 is going to be, I think, different for a lot of people. But how many times Mm. a year do you talk about race with people who aren't of colour? Yeah, completely. Let's crystal ball gaze a little bit. Let's talk about Indigenous wisdom. What question about Indigenous wisdom do you think someone really needs to ask you that they haven't asked you yet? Well, I do get a lot of questions. I do get a lot of questions. I I don't consent to a lot of those questions. I've got to consent to the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but are you okay? Are you okay? Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to That'd ask be a good you. Good place to start. Regina Jones, are you okay? I'm okay today. Right. But I'm not okay with what's happening in the world, Joe. No. I just, I'm, I'm at a loss, to be honest. You know, it's not all sad days. We're very resilient people. Right. And that's the thing. But I think that there are times when. Um, we have seen situations play out and no one cares about how, you know, your Indigenous colleagues or Mm. your Indigenous friends at school are coping with what's happening. And you would be surprised at how we might feel in that situation. Right. And it's, again, having the balls, white people having the balls to ask these questions and not just pretend, oh, I better not upset them. I better not ask. I better not upset them. Let's talk about it because – right. Yeah, I don't know if that's Indigenous wisdom. Um, Well, you are Indigenous and you are full of wisdom. (laughs) 
therefore it is but maybe yeah. not in the in the true sense of you know the bigger picture but it right. is it is right. um but also your your point of consent i think is so important and your point about that woman the white woman getting up in your dms and kind of demanding answers you know demanding mm. the labor of black indigenous or people of color especially women demanding their labor to give you answers is not doing the work Doing the work is no. reading books, is listening to people, is having conversations, is watching movies. Is There are so many resources out there. You can type it into Google. How do how to not benefit from systemic racism, how to fight racism, right. whatever you want. You can look into it. That's doing the work. I've written things on my websites. Shameless plug there, everyone. But Exactly. It, you and know, you know what? We're humans. That's what it comes down to. If, uh, if you can relate to watching Avatar and feeling horrible for the blue people whose lands were stolen right. and crying in the movie, right. and this is happening and playing out in your country. Right. You don't need someone, you don't need to go to a, a person of colour and ask them how to make you understand when you can relate to things right. in your everyday life right. and not see the, the parallel. I always was just like, I don't get this. Right. What? How? Right. How can you cry about something like that and not understand how one might feel when it's happening to them? Humans are a, a complex beast, I have to say, that our ability to shut things out never ceases to amaze me. No. Let's go back to the crystal ball. What yes. does, you can answer this one of two ways, either Ginny Jones or Ginny's girl gang look like in 10 years? Mm, I don't think Ginny's girl gang will be around. Hmm. Um, and I've always thought that. I don't, I don't want to be around forever. I think I'm here to just get some work done mm-hmm. and then pass that on to someone else. For me, I think Ginny, I, w- I think that she will be hopefully back in Australia mm-hmm. um, and continuing to be proud of who she is and happy and healthy and, a, you know, have kids and be passing on culture to those kids and, you know, in whatever way that she decides to make an impact that she's do- happy doing that. A, a little side note to that too, people get your jackets now because they're very yeah. limited edition. <laughs> At the end of my potties, I do a little 13 quick short answer questions. I'm going to throw them at you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Home city? Uh, Wynnum. Wynnum. Favorite city? Wynnum, Brisbane. Um, New York. God, that's a good city, isn't it? It's a beautiful city. It's just amazing. The energy, everything. Love a it. melting pot. Now, define your personal style in three words. That can be you know, style that you wear or attitude, however you want to take it? Um, I would say comfy, mm-hmm. casual, and fun. I like it. Who is your style icon? Again, that doesn't have to be fashion necessarily. It can be, but it also could be the style of, you know, their vibe. Lisa Bonet. Mm. She's so gorgeous. She's just she's just so effortless and, like, I just it looks comfy. And yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. She's also got cheekbones that could cut through glass. Oh, and a wonderful husband. And I was just thinking that. Think and husband. a rather <laughs> dashing husband. What are your tips for a more equitable planet? 
Oh my goodness. That's a big one. But Mm -hmm. I think I would like, what I would like is to see more intentions on um, improving economic mobility, Mm -hmm. Um, like, and and seeing people in privileged positions um, take concrete steps towards economic or wealth distribution to those who are disenfranchised. What's a favourite aspect of your work? I think it would be connecting with people and hearing their stories and that's like the the best part is that when someone goes, can I get this message on my back? And I'm like, what's that about? Like where does this come from? Being able to share and hear their stories, that, that humanity part of it, that has to be the best part. The storytelling, I love it. What is your favorite drink? I love a ginger ale. Ooh, yummy. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I put orange juice in it. Really? Have you <laughs> yeah, ever put vodka in it? I have. I've done that too. Yeah. yeah that's love good. That. Uh, it's such a it's yeah. an, a good tiddly, that one. It's a giggly tiddly. Yes, it is. I love it. It is. I'm not really a vodka drinker, but every now and then, I think they're called <laughs> Moscow Mules. And I partake. Oh, I love them. Yeah, and I just get giggly. I'm just happy and giggly. Words to live by or favourite quote? I love, you are what you do, not what you'll say, what you say you'll do. Yeah, I like that. So stop fucking around and get it done, people. Okay, what's your favourite movie or book? Right now I'm reading Small Doses by Amanda Seals and I really love it. What is that? I don't know that book. Um, Amanda Seal, she's she's a black activist here in the US right. and it's just a real blunt way of putting uh, – you have to read it. I will Just read put it. it on your list and okay. check it out because she is amazing. I've just written it down now. Thank you very much. Three people you want at your dinner party and why. They can be dead, by the way, or fictional or whatever. Okay. I, I think I won't go the dead route. Right. I think I'll go my sisters, Nikki and Carrie, and my nana. Just because I'm all the way over here, that would be a nice dinner, I think. That would be a lovely dinner. What would be on the menu? This isn't one of the questions, but I've just thrown it um, in Oh, look, if, I, if it was up to me, I would get my nan to cook. She makes these awesome, like a chicken curry, and a she makes the best rice pudding and Johnny cakes. Oh, yum. Can I come? It's been a really long time. (laughs) I'll do the dishes. Now, three things always found in your handbag or luggage. Okay. Well, it's coronavirus season. Mm -hmm. So I I always have my passport because I I have to. And probably a reusable straw. Mm -hmm. Everyone should have one. And hand sanitizer or a mask. Good on you. Because I'm a good person. I care about other people. You're right. You are uplifting the liberty of all and not just yourself. The word liberty is <laughs> Hard to do. thrown around. To do. Okay. Now, when you're not working, we'll find you doing what? I'm a massive film buff. Like I love to watch documentaries and movies. Um, so I'm either watching something or I'm probably FaceTiming my family. Are you watching yeah. anything on Netflix or anything at the moment that we all should be watching? Um, no, probably not. It's all really horrible stuff, but I'm really loving <laughs> the US, being in the US and having access to a lot more black-made movies. Yeah, and I'm loving like Tyler Perry and him and his moment right now and being able to tell 
black stories by black people. Yeah, cool. So anything, really. Okay, last question. Uh, What is your advice for someone looking to improve their understanding of Indigenous culture, Aboriginal culture? Take the step to educate yourself. Read something, watch something, listen. There are so many people, well, we're really lucky as well. Like I think right now there are so many people on social media who are wonderful advocates and speaking out about issues that are important to our community. You don't have to look very far, um, but you do have to look. You have to get off your ass and do it. So you should do that. I love it, lady, and I love you, and I love your work, and I just thank you so much for your invaluable time. What you do, you make the world a better place, and um, I can't wait to have a Moscow mule with you somewhere in America or somewhere in Australia one day very soon. Can't wait. Me neither. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to Giving a Fuck is the New Black. Today's show was hosted by me, Joe Lorenz, brought to you by Conscious Citizen Co. If you've enjoyed today's show, please remember to subscribe via iTunes. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest or get in touch with me, then please head to our website, ConsciousCitizen.co. Until next time, folks, please consider giving a couple of fucks. Listener.